everybody. Welcome to the Governance Evaluator webinar, Effective Stakeholder Engagement in the Aged Care Sector. Today, we're really proud to be presenting this webinar to you in partnership with Aon and also in partnership with the Australian Public Affairs. Today, we have Tracy Kane as our guest presenter. Tracy is the CEO of Australian Public Affairs and as a former journalist and political advisor in Australia and America, Tracy leads a firm that has a large practice in aged care. Over the next hour, Tracy will be going over the following three key areas with us. She's going to talk about why should we talk about stakeholder engagement on boards. She's going to also talk about what is stakeholder governance. And she's going to lastly talk to us about how do you actually do it. At the end, Tracy will take a questions and answers session. So Tracy, welcome, and we are really looking forward to this presentation today with you. Thank you, thank you, B. It is, it is lovely to be able to give a presentation like this because historically my background is probably in the doing and the communications, which very much includes stakeholder engagement and analysis. And it's been very interesting to see over, over the past decade that those what are operational matters and operational skills are increasingly required at board level. And we see it as we work a lot in the, in the aged care sector that there is increasingly the need for an extra layer over the top of what historically were management decisions and management processes, that there is a governance question that comes from that. And so it's nice to be able to use my background, I guess, in the doing to, to raise above that and talk about where are the governance questions and responsibilities that override that. So the first component that I'd like to talk about is really, you know, why is this relevant? Why are we actually talking about this at board level, particularly given that historically we have had this as a management responsibility and probably not even a senior management responsibility. In some cases, it really moves down the chain to whether it's communications teams or corporate, corporate advisory teams. With aged care, and I probably don't need to labour this too much with those who are with us today, but we are in a, a really changing environment. The Royal Commission really is a, a trigger for change right across the industry. And it is those with the strong governance practices that really understand who their stakeholders are, that will be able to make those really time sensitive, really critical issues to navigate through this path. Certainly, as we sit here today and COVID-19 is all around us, it's the governance questions around preparation for that, which historically a board wouldn't have looked at, but again, a bit like stakeholder engagement, are becoming increasingly governance oriented. If we look at the governance evaluated benchmark from this year, you can see that when asked about stakeholder engagement and did boards think that they did it well in this aged care sector, there has been a really steep decline in those who would say yes to that. And that is an issue because at this time more than ever, you do need to know who your stakeholders are and you do need them to feel that they are part of the organisation and part of the journey going forward. It will present some really big questions for those who are trying to navigate where we are and where we're going in aged care at the moment. 
Let's just for a moment cast our eye across what's happening in other countries. And the UK is probably the most interesting example in this. Over the past couple of years, they have, they have moved to require listed companies to show what they call effective engagement on an annual basis. Now, effective engagement is, of course, up for negotiation, but it, it certainly has been described as meaningful. It's been described as regular dialogue, and it's also been described as communication to stakeholders. And by that, communication from a board to stakeholders, which is quite a different paradigm than the paradigm I think historically the um, listed companies have been in. And the UK model offers three choices, that you can have a designated board member, you can establish a subcommittee, or you can have a representative director in that representative model. It is an interesting dynamic that they are trying to force stakeholder engagement up to that board level. And again, I'm not stressing the doing of it, I'm talking about the oversight, setting the parameters and the monitoring of it. The other thing that they require is that stakeholder engagement actually feeds into board decision making and how can you demonstrate that in an annual report? How do you demonstrate that you took into account what stakeholders were telling you as you made your board decisions? And I think that is the biggest warning shot, not just for aged care, but for all organisations across Australia if we do go down that path of following that international development. And if we look to the US and particularly to Harvard and others, they've started talking about stakeholder governance as a way of separating stakeholder engagement and the doing from the actual governance structure around it. And what is the new paradigm that boards need to be thinking about and need to be engaging in if I tick the box on good governance? And you'd have to say in aged care in Australia at the moment, good governance is what's going to cause many to get through where we're at. So the challenge for, for boards is how can you fulfill your director's role if you don't know what the stakeholders are thinking and saying? And by that, I don't mean the CEO providing an annual report based on a survey. It's actually hearing from them directly. How, do, how can you feel confident as a board member that you actually understand what it's like to stand in those stakeholder shoes? Whether it's through feedback, whether it's through data and understanding it, or whether it's through involving them in a process, doesn't actually matter. As a director to discharge your duties, how are you going to make sure you really understand where those stakeholders are? Second question for, for board members is how can you identify and resolve issues requiring a governance lens if you don't truly know what those issues are? And stakeholder engagement is probably the best tool to see where the issues are and what priority is placed on them. Now, everybody will complain, and I'm sure everybody gets complaints from time to time, but it's what's bubbling along the surface that people are talking about. How are they talking about it? Is it more important or less important than other things they're talking about? That lens is particularly important from a governance perspective. Because yes, governance is about risk and risk setting, but if you don't understand how people are going to react and where this sits on their priorities, it becomes very, very difficult then to have that governance lens. The third point is really, could you make better decisions if stakeholders were contributors? And this is, this is going that step further to, are you going to have, whether it's 
planning for the next decade, whether it's feedback into a particular structure or a particular change. How are you going to look at involving stakeholders so that you can make better governance decisions? And we've seen organisations do this very, very well at a board level, and we've seen them do it very, very poorly and really rely on the interpretation of management rather than that direct engagement and that direct understanding. And lastly, is this better governance? We often get boards saying to us, well, aren't we just stepping into management? And one of the very clear challenges is if you are going to get engaged in um, stakeholder governance, how do you say, well, this is governance, that is management? And how do you draw that very clear paradigm right from the very beginning to avoid questions like that or to avoid whether it's board members or whether it's management straying out of their lane and into, into the wrong area and muddying those waters? The second area we would, would like to cover today is what is stakeholder governance? And it's all very well to talk about why is it relevant and what difference can it make? But we actually need to know what it is because that's where you start to build your own tailored platform from. Stakeholder governance, and I'm deliberately using the, the term from Harvard University at, at that point, it's more than just communication. We have boards say to us, but we communicate through management. They know what we're doing. That is no longer enough. And if you look at, at an operational level, the impact of engagement through social media and the expectation of engagement, that is rapidly moving up to board level. It is not enough just to throw information out there. You actually need them to have an understanding of where the organisation is, where it's going. And while it's not a popularity contest, it is important to get that feedback. It's about board members really understanding and really knowing their stakeholders. It's about engagement in informing governance decisions, governance planning, and the way the board operates. Part of, part of this is changing the, the paradigm in which you, you review decisions. That is there, is there something in there that says, how will our stakeholders respond to this? What have they told us they will think about these options that are before us at the moment? And then ultimately the board does need to make the decision, but you need to make it through the lens of your stakeholders. The AICD in Australia, the Australian Institute of Company Directors, talks a lot about stakeholder engagement. They talk about it, not going to read that quote, but if while I'm talking, you could have a look at that quote, that would be helpful. Relationships with stakeholders have a significant impact on your ability as a board to achieve your goals. And part of that is if they're not understanding there is a journey, if they're not understanding they have a role to play, if they're not understanding where the parameters lie and what they can expect next, you don't have a group behind you pulling in the same direction. You have a group of people seeing random decisions, seeing or not seeing governance above those decisions and starting to question and pull against you. Boards who oversee that process of stakeholder engagement understand what it is, understand what measurements they need in order to make good, proper governance decisions and also understand what feedback to give back to management. We want this changed. We don't think that's giving us this right amount of information. And if you work with management at a governance level, you start to follow that AICD model and you start to get good governance, then 
informs good practice, which then informs good governance. And you have that really nice dynamic between governance and between management. So what is stakeholder engagement? What is stakeholder governance? Three areas I think we need to look at today. The first is research. Everybody here will have seen stakeholder research and the research can vary from the quantitative research, which looks at what are the numbers? How many people think we're doing a good job? How many people think we're doing a terrible job? How many people would support this decision? How many people would not support that decision? And finding out where on that spectrum your stakeholders sit. Does it mean you're going to follow it and you're going to be driven by a poll? Not at all. But it means you understand the dynamics you're stepping into and you adjust how you communicate, how you coordinate, maybe the timing, maybe the logistics of it, to make sure that those who are going to be impacted, you address that accordingly. Qualitative research is qualitative, so it's not the data. It won't give you 57% of people, 90% of people. What it will give you is an understanding of the language they're using, why one thing matters more than others, and with a background in politics, I guess I, I look at it politically, and that is there are some who will never vote for you. There are some who will always vote for you. The real question is the ones in between. What does it take to turn them towards you or to turn them against you? And how sensitive is that audience? And the research will give you that. Does it give it to you directly? No, but it does give you enough to make a decision. And we found that many boards, particularly in the aged care sector, will actually go that far. Do they go any further is something I'm, I'm arguing today should be considered. The other part of research is a framework for meaningful dialogue. And by that, I don't mean encouraging every stakeholder to call every board member. That's certainly not what this is. But if there is planning for the future, what will that framework look like to involve our stakeholders to a level that gives us comfort that we're actually still moving forward in their interests. And is that framework, is it communication? Is it a two-way dialogue? Is it a series of meetings with a structure and a facilitator? Is it an opportunity to import at regular sort of consulting meetings over a period of 12 months? What is it you're trying to do and how are you going to have that dialogue back as well as to them? The next really important question is, what do you need to know? Because otherwise it's meaningless interaction. What do you need to know from your stakeholders to make you a better director? What do you need to know to inform your future planning and your future decisions? And if you don't get that framework right, it doesn't matter how much engagement a board does or management does, you will never get the information you need. And how are management going to take your engagement or are they and implement it or is this simply to inform governance and any stakeholder research needs to be coordinated with management because you can't go to people constantly and ask for research and feedback they burn out they start to get negative and that will start to come through in the data or the information you're collecting so you do need to coordinate with management on the way through the second component is how do you involve your stakeholders? How do you take what they're saying and turn it into something that is a decision-making vehicle? How do you hear from them directly? Are you going to once a year invite a certain group in to speak to the board? 
and certainly some of the boards I'm involved in, um, not in the aged care sector though, they regularly get stakeholders to come and address the board, 10, 15 minutes at a board meeting, because they want the chance to ask them directly. And they don't just get one, they get a group of three or four of them and deliberately curated so that you get different views, different perspectives, different ideas. How do you identify your stakeholders? How do you then interact with them meaningfully? And I come back to that model that's used in the, in the UK that there are some options in that and they're good options, whether they're mandated here or not is irrelevant. If it leads to better governance, it's worth looking at at a board level. And the last one is communicating. As I said before, communication from a board to stakeholders probably saved for really crisis times or really critical incidents to show that there is a governance oversight. Increasingly, there needs to be much more than that because you're trying to grow support around you. And if they never hear from you, they never grow support. So the question is, how do you do that without without stepping on the toes of management or the implementers, without getting involved in the reporting, but getting involved up front with, this is why we're structuring this this way. Here are the governance measures we're looking for, and here's how they are incorporated into our board meeting, our board decision-making process, maybe even the board papers, maybe even the meeting itself. So how do you communicate that there is this thing called governance that is wrapping around the daily operations and looking out for the future of the organisation. Boards who don't communicate find that increasingly there is a separation with their stakeholders and stakeholders get more and more dependent on management and less and less dependent on knowing that there is a framework and there is a governance structure. And that particularly comes to a fore in times of significant change and times when there is a divergence between the board and management, whether it's an individual or whether it's across a number of them, you find that instantly all of the stakeholders will go with who they know and who's been communicating with them. So while you're not setting up a point of difference, you're setting up an alternative framework that can become very important to rely on. Activating it. This is all good and well, but if stakeholder governance is not activated at a practical level for your board, then it's all noise and it's all irrelevant. How do you incorporate this into making a board decision? Does the chair remind everybody that there are stakeholders and here's what stakeholders are saying on this matter? Is it up to that designated director or is it up to the subcommittee to actually take every potential board decision and look at it through the lens of a stakeholder? How do you communicate your understanding of stakeholder engagement back to management? How do you reinforce that difference between governance and management right the way through so that you're not stepping on their toes and they're not stepping on your toes? And I guess the final area is how do you practically go about doing this? Because one of the things we were very keen for today was yes, to talk at a governance level and above the practicalities, but at some point the board needs to activate and needs to do something. How do you actually do that without stepping on management's toes? The first is to identify who the stakeholders are. Now, that sounds terribly basic on the surface, but we find a lot of boards actually struggle with that because they don't know how tightly you cast that net or how widely. 
And the definition we tend to draw on is anyone who, without their support, the organisation would cease to exist. And we like to structure them into groups so that you end up with a regulators group, for instance. Who are the regulators? Put them all in. They may not all be relevant at every single moment, but at some point, if they're relevant to your regulatory environment, they are going to be stakeholders. Then we look at the internal stakeholders, more so being the staff, the health professionals, the suppliers to keep the, the aged care facility going, for instance, or to keep the facility going. Then we tend to look at those who are a bit more external to that, whether it's families, whether it's residents, whether it's potential families. Certainly, if you're looking in environments where you have waiting lists and you have people who are considering you well ahead of time, how do you actually engage with them? Not just take their name on a list, not just take some upfront money on a list, but actually work with them so that when it comes time to activate their choice, they're very comfortable and they're coming into your environment, knowing what your environment is like, what they can expect, how they can have their say so that they don't run off to the media or run off to social media and activate an, an entirely different question. They know who they can talk to and what they can expect in terms of responses. Stakeholders with a stake in the organisation. For those of you who are faith-based, the churches, there is an entire group of stakeholders around churches and church liaison. Those of you who are looking at capital works projects, expansion, buying new property, that brings in a whole range of planning and neighbours that go with that. So really understanding who they are and identifying them is the, is the most important exercise because if you don't get the fundamentals right, it doesn't matter who you talk to if they're not the right people. And in our experience, it takes boards some time to get that list together. It, it is extensive and you need to almost have them on A lists and B lists, but it takes some time to get that list together properly. Next is choose your method of engagement. We see a range of appetite from boards from, yes, let's regularly interact directly to, well, let's just set it up as a research structure for now to we have a planning exercise. Let's do up a range of opportunities for feedback and engagement that fit within the development timeline. You've got to decide where your board is comfortable and communicate that with management. And there are questions around how do you resource this from a board level? On some occasions, board members may be those who work in the sector, have other jobs. How are you going to make sure this doesn't become too much for the board members to do? And if you allocate it to management, how can you make sure that it has a governance lens over the top of it? They're all part of structure and choosing your method. Is it going to be sustainable? The one thing you cannot do to a stakeholder group is announce with some fanfare that there is going to be some engagement from a governance level and then never deliver on it. It has to be sustainable. It has to be what you say it's going to be. And part of that is stakeholder governance is about developing relationships and building on relationships. If you at the very announcement can't live up to that, it does undermine the trust. It undermines that relationship. The second is to make sure you have that governance framework over the top. Management need to understand it, stakeholders need to understand it, and your board members need to understand it. What actually does that mean? 
what are the terms of reference, which include very carefully, what are the governance questions or matters you want covered in engagement? It is not just about information. How do you then link that back to, this is how our board operates. This is how we meet. This is our process. This is our decision-making process. So how do you make sure that very carefully you've separated this out from management? And what are you trying to achieve through stakeholder governance? Is it just to make sure that you really do understand your audience? Is it because you think there is a gap? Is it because you wish to keep the board the way it is at the moment, but there isn't enough feedback from stakeholders? Is it a substitute? Is it actually part of something quite significant for you? Work out what that achievement measure is. Otherwise, you can't measure it, right? If you can't identify it, you can't measure it. The third is to build capacity. What is your capacity to deliver? Are you going to develop a subcommittee to run this and report back to the board? Are you going to have a joint board management committee? Will management understand that this is not about management? Will the board understand that this is not about management? Do any directors need training? Why are we doing this? What is this? What is the latest theory around stakeholder governance? Because we, we have found as some of these skills develop a governance layer, the board members are not comfortable with some of the detail. And the more the board has to get directly involved in the detail, the more it makes some feel quite uncomfortable. And it can lead to either paralysis or it can lead to decisions being made which don't reflect that distinction between governance and management. And the fourth area is undertaking the engagement. Who is doing it and how's it gonna be reported to the board? The, whoever is doing it needs to be very clearly aware of what you're trying to achieve and why. And the other is it needs to be managed as a very positive exercise. Certainly in some environments, the opportunity for engagement for many is an opportunity to list my 75 complaints rather than make any positive contribution or rather than engage on a particular topic. So making sure that whoever is running it actually leaves people walking away thinking, I'm really impressed the board engaged us. I'm really impressed with the framework that allows us to have some input to whatever it is they're doing up there at board level. And it closes that gap and it makes it a positive experience. And equally managing those expectations that not everything you say in those sessions ends up being a board approved decision. So the person running it needs to be very careful to manage those parameters. The fifth step is about analysing and acting. What have you actually learned from this? If you really understand your stakeholders, you shouldn't learn a terrible amount of information. What you will learn is the priorities within it. Well, we knew that they were their concerns, but did you know that that is of more concern than number four? And that should be where the surprise comes in. The other surprise should be around language, that if you ask people to articulate what they think is the greatest priority, what they think are the greatest obstacles, you will get some language that you can then repeat back. And that shows, yes, it's understood. You may be able to incorporate it into board decisions and some of the board discussions. That shows that you have that meaningful engagement that they're talking about in the UK. When you get the outcome, how are you actually going to incorporate this in what you do at every board meeting? 
is there a separate line item? Is there a separate process as part of every decision or every report? How do you actually manage that to show that you have listened? Because the, the worst thing you can do is engage with stakeholders and then go and do something completely different. So what's the follow-up with the stakeholders going to be? Where is the thank you, appreciated, here's what we're doing going forward? That sort of communication starts that relationship between board and stakeholder. It doesn't mean you chop out the management. It doesn't mean you chop out those who are on the front line every day. Absolutely not. You come in behind them, but you do specifically talk about governance and board matters. And the last is feedback. You need feedback on your process. You need feedback on how stakeholders are feeling about your engagement and your response to them because this is a live environment and you tweak and you adjust as you go because that leads to a much stronger governance model around stakeholder engagement. So what I wanted to do from here was, and I can see there are questions, there are questions coming in. What we wanted to do from here was to, was to address some of the specific questions, noting that this is really about the governance stakeholder engagement. Tracy, thank you so much. And we do have a couple of questions, which I'd like to just ask you now, if you've got some time to elaborate on them. I think probably the first question that seems to be really important to people in aged care, particularly those in governance and those in management, is when you look at who the key stakeholder is in aged care, the most often the frail and aged that we actually care for, and actually having strategies for finding their voice at the boardroom table is quite tricky. And a few people are wondering, do you have any insights or any thoughts or any ideas that might assist when you're setting up your framework, when you're setting up your plan of how we can actually make sure that the voice of the frail and aged is at the table when they can't actually speak on their own behalf? Yeah, that's a, that's a really common question in aged care. And if we run research or we set up a stakeholder engagement, you need to look at, is there a way of helping them make their voice heard? If not, who are they talking to and who's talking on their behalf? So it may be their families and it may be the staff who are on the ground providing the day-to-day -day care. And it may be around processes, admission processes. It may be around you know, the exit process, it may be a whole lot of trigger points that you're getting these people with, with stakeholder views. So I think just because they may be aged and they may be frail and they may not be so well, doesn't mean their voice isn't heard. I think it comes through some very, very caring individuals that work in the sector. And certainly when everybody's at that stage of life, it's usually their families who are the greatest advocates. So it's a matter of, part of the research or the engagement is around, okay, you're here because you have a relative. I want you to spend the next five minutes talking to me about what it's like through your relative's eyes. Thank you, Tracy. That's very good. We have another question um, asking who is doing it really well here in Australia, either in aged care or any other sector? And the person goes on to say that they've actually counted 45 different stakeholder groups that management have to deal with in their day-to-day -day operations, which is a very good point, isn't it? Yeah, the list is almost endless. 
and particularly in a regulated environment. But there is a distinction between who will be the stakeholder groups for management and who will be the stakeholder groups for governance questions. And your list as a governor of an organisation should be a lot smaller and a lot more refined. And the other thing I'd say is, I'm not sure anybody's doing it particularly well, but there are great pockets of excellence. So there are some boards that have a particular process that might be very good. There are others that might have really engaged with their stakeholders over the development of a strategic plan, for instance. There might be others who have a really good annual or six monthly survey or checkpoints throughout the operational timeline that allows them to actually gather the information as they go and report it through to the board. Where I see there is a real opportunity to improve is how you take some of this feedback and how you report it through to a board and incorporate it in governance questions. That's fantastic. Thank you, Tracy. And I, just one last question I think we've got time for today is just going back to that really important point of the difference between governance and management. And just to ask you to be able to just expand on that a little more, just to help people with some tips around that, keeping the two roles separate, but having a clear framework for how they can work together to get it right. It does become blurred in, in this area, probably more so than many other areas. And part of that is you don't want to duplicate what management's doing. And it may be that you can piggyback their system for engagement, but just ask those governance questions. So it becomes, it, it becomes quite blurry because you don't know what your method is and your method might be, well, let's do it most efficiently and effectively. So it may be that there is a combination of the two. Where it becomes important is what is the data, the information, the process that you need to better govern the organisation as opposed to what a management need to run the day-to-day -day operations. And if you can ask that question, you can start to distinguish between which bit of information you need and why you need it. That is terrific. And that's a great point on which to finish our webinar today. And Tracy, thank you so much. Absolutely tremendous insight and really interesting discussion. So again, thank you, Tracy. Thank you, everybody, for coming today. And Tracy and us here at the Governance Evaluator would be absolutely delighted to hear from you. If you have any questions or any follow-up inquiry, we're really um, very pleased to assist. Thank you.